This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. I've got a golden episode for you today. I said golden, but it's not about the Golden Knights because that was the last episode. So I should say we have an episode that's going to have a range of interesting topics because we're going to be talking about the New York Rangers with Shayna Goldman, who we've been wanting to get on the podcast forever, and she definitely did not disappoint. So I just know you're going to enjoy this interview. Uh, before we get to that, let me, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the best fantasy hockey website in the world. That's where you go. You know, like, okay, Lindy Ruff just got hired by the New Jersey Devils. So, of course, there's going to be articles all over about, like, with interviews with him and all of that. But if you want a fantasy take, who does this help and hurt in fantasy now that the Devils have a new coach? You could read an article by Michael Clifford, which dropped just today, July 9th, which is not the day I'm dropping the episode. But, yeah, like, the day of the signing or the day after, you know, you're getting all these, like, fantasy impact so if you're playing fantasy, if you want to be successful, and also just to learn a lot about what's going on in hockey, you got to check out these articles at Dauber Hockey, plus the tools at Frozen Tools. I use them to prep every single one of these episodes. Super useful. Lots of very interesting and easy to understand statistics that you can sort by and really get a sense of what happened in the season. So I could craft these questions and for you to prep for your fantasy season. So definitely check it out. That's DauberHockey.com, FrozenTools.com. Great suite of websites there. But okay, with that, let me cut to my interview about the New York Rangers with Shayna Goldman. Enjoy. All right, everybody. We've got someone here to talk about the New York Rangers, and we've been wanting to get her on the podcast for a long time. Get ready for this list of credentials. So she's senior editor of Blue Ship Banter, co-creator of Behind the Benches, which is a database of coaches, a contributor for The Athletic, for the Rangers and Islanders, does hockey research and analytics for hockey graphs, a co-host of the Too Many Men podcast, Shayna Goldman, welcome to Keeping Carlson. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you on the show. I really would love to just talk to you about all these different things that you do, uh, but I guess we'll have to save it for another time because I also have like tons of New York Rangers questions that I am excited <laughs> to get to. <laughs> it makes me feel very accomplished. It's, it's very weird. <laughs> hey, like, what do you even say? Like when someone goes to you and says like, hey, what do you do for a living? Like, how, oh, do, you, my God. how do you even summarize that? I that conversation especially with like adults because I have to explain it and everyone like looks at me like I have five heads but I just uh I'll just be like I, I write about hockey and then I get a million questions or um a lot of shit talked about can I curse yeah go for it 
Okay, good. <laughs> but uh, about like certain teams or things like that. And then I get to hear, you know, how stats are bad or something. So it's, oh, huh. it, it can be a very interesting response back to it. But yeah, I just, I just stick to like, I, I do things with hockey and just try to brush over it. Right. And that's the person I guess is excited. I just answer hockey and then they could go from there. Uh, we'll definitely talk <laughs> about if stats are good or bad when we get to our Ryan Strom conversation of it. I know that was a big controversy early in the season. But first, I guess I'll just ask you about the Rangers in general. Like this team, they had that nice run of making the playoffs almost every season since 2006. They had a couple close calls. They make the cup finals against the Kings in 2014. They had that game seven loss versus the Lightning in the next year. But in the past couple of years, they finally gone into a rebuild mode. They had an unspectacular 2018-19 season. It seemed like they would still need a couple of years before they would be ready to compete again. But then I'll admit, I got excited. Like my opinion about the Rangers changed this past summer. They had this super exciting summer where they drafted Capococco, they traded for Truba, they signed Artemi Panarin. And I thought this could be like a sleeper team in, in 2019-20. But then, of course, things didn't really go as planned the way I was expecting, at least at the start. They were outside of the playoff picture looking in around January 4th. But when uh, like another exciting name came into the picture, Igor Shostyorkin got called up. I know you're a huge Henrik Lundqvist fan. I read that as one of your descriptions. I don't know how you feel about that, but Shostyorkin came up and all of a sudden everything changed. The Rangers went 18-10-1 to end the season. They were right there. They were two points out of a wildcard spot when the season got paused because of the coronavirus. So I, of course, want to ask you about all of these players I just brought up. But first of all, is the explanation for this turnaround at the end of the season for those last couple of months as simple as Shostyorkin being such a monumental difference maker? Or do you think there were like some other team improvements that coincided with his arrival? I don't want to take anything away from Shostyorkin because he is a super talented goaltender and he's someone that like Ranger fans and the organization overall has been waiting for for years. But I think it's a lot more than that. Um, there was a lot of reason to be excited about the Rangers going into the season, like you mentioned. And um, Panarin headlined it all. And he's been nothing short of outstanding for the Rangers. I mean, he was such a difference maker. Everything that he did, you know, on both ends of the ice was just unbelievable. And he elevated this team in a way that I think, I think everyone knew he was good or really good, but they didn't know just how good he is. And I think even unless you watch him every single day, maybe you don't realize it. Like he, he's an elite player and that word can be thrown around a lot, but he truly is. So He's a huge reason for it. Um, Adam Fox was another big reason for it. He was so good on uh, on the blue line this year. And there were players like Chris Kreider, you know, his season started slow, but went to stride. And Mika Zibanejad and Pavel Buchnevich. And there's so many different players that contributed to it. And obviously, this is a team that's had defensive struggles, and they still did this year. And they'll did at the time of the pause, um, but there were definitely some improvements in both their offense and their defense. So the fact that they were trending up, it really paired well with Shesterkin's call-up. Um, if you look by the numbers and look past your traditional stats for goal, which are so terrible and horrible and should never be used and can be thrown into the sun, you know, <laughs> um, you can see how good all three goaltenders were this season. And a lot of people will say, well, Lundqvist wasn't that good this season. And it's like, well, then I'm sorry you weren't watching what was going on in front of him. You know, he was playing primarily in the beginning of the season when they were at their worst defensively and he was, was still handling it very well. So when you try to balance out everyone's uh, stats with some context of the shot quantity and the shot quality that they were facing, he was just as good at tenders. And you could even argue that he was better at points than, you know, Georgiev or, you know, a- any of them really. So you, you have three super skilled goaltenders. Chesterkin was very good when he can. There's absolutely no question about it. 
but he also came in at the right time. So it all just like paired well for them for that push as their season was continuing you know, in the calendar year 2020, basically. And that's that's what got where they are, I guess. I mean, right now ish, why they're yeah. in the bubble at all. You know, had the season continued, do I think they would have made the playoffs? I'm not sure. I think they would have fallen like two points short. But the fact that they were in that position at all, that's impressive. For a rebuilding team, for this team, for everything we know about them, it was impressive. So it definitely just culminated nicely for them. I see. So yeah, it looked like it was all just York, but you're saying that uh, like a lot of players were just like finally coming to their own. Maybe the defense was a little better. Maybe the other goaltenders would have also been able to go on that nice run. And uh, But now obviously just York must be like a hero in New York, right? People must be so excited for him. Yeah, there was so much hype around him. And this is someone who won at other levels and was so excellent at other levels and came into the AHL and was nothing short of great for the Wolfpack, a team that they've had good goaltenders and, and things like that, but they, it, they really have had their struggles in front of the, uh, in front of the goaltender over the years and things were coming together for them, but he, really it was just Durkin and he was everything the Rangers could have hoped for and more when he came in. And obviously there are questions, how will he adjust to North American ice and things like that, because he really never played. He was always in Europe, but he played, you know, so well and he transitioned really smoothly. So it, it, it isn't to take away from him. I think that he is what, the Rangers have been waiting for in so many ways but I think had he come in at the beginning of the season maybe we'd be looking at a different story and maybe not you know like we'll never know you can't yeah. guess but it's it's we can't put the credit fully on him it's really been everything trending in that direction well, that's great for this team because it seems like, you know, all the, a lot of these players that you mentioned are still super young. Like Adam Fox was just his rookie season. So if they can get everything lined up and not lose too many players because of salary cap issues or something, it looks like this team could be a contender very soon, maybe even as soon as like uh, next season. I'm curious, though, what is the plan in Nets now? Because they've got Henrik Lundqvist, who's 38 years old, still under contract for another year. Gorgiev is a restricted free agent. Just York, and I imagine, is the starter moving forward. But like they have this three-headed monster where, you know, you think it through. And it's like, okay, they could trade Georgiev. Uh, but then, you know, after next season, when Lungfist's contract is over, then who's the backup goalie? And then also, if they keep Georgiev, then what happens with Seattle? And, you know, if they'll end up taking him in the expansion draft. So do we have any sense right now of what the Rangers are planning to do with these three goalies? Um, I'm honestly not sure. Earlier in the year, I would have said, Georgiev's going to get traded. There's no question about it. And I think the problem was the second the Rangers called up Shostarkin, Every, it, they showed their hand, but their hand was really never to begin with. Everybody knew this situation was going to happen once he came over, as long as he did well in North American ice, you know, it, it wasn't hard to see coming. So the Rangers didn't have as much leverage. The Leafs were the team that it seemed like would have needed a goaltender like you give more than anyone. And then they made a trade for Jack Campbell, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh my God, it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was Campbell. Yeah. So if maybe if they needed a goaltender or maybe if the sharks were a better team this year i mean that that's a big thing right there if the sharks were a better team they could have gone for a goaltender and really completed that team that they needed to go for a playoff run but that wasn't the case either so these teams that were contenders for gear yeah, it seemed like started drying up and the rangers couldn't get what they wanted for him and they wanted a lot because they see a lot in him and i think that's great wonderful to make a return on an investment but you lose your leverage the longer you're in the situation because you know that there has to be an end um what they do this offseason, I honestly, yeah, if they were given compliance buyouts, maybe they would have bought out Lundqvist. And I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. I don't think that's how his story should end in New York. But I don't know if another team can handle his cap hit, which some might say is a burden. But when you look at what's done, you know, it, cap hit does make sense for his abilities 
no question about it. And it was a calculated risk when they signed him. So to get another team to take that on right now is definitely going to be tricky given everyone in this cap constraint with the flat cap. So if I'm the Rangers, I still look for a partner for Gergiev because you're going to come to a point where both are going to want to be starters. You know, as much as you might think it's a good idea to have a young goaltending tandem, at some point that young goaltending tandem is not going to want to stay young goaltending tandem. One's going to want to be the starter and one's going to want to be a starter somewhere else then if it can't be here. And then you're back in a position where you have to trade one. And yes, they have a pipeline. And yes, you can sign a veteran goaltender as a backup. But then you have Seattle coming in. That's another hurdle to get across. So I don't know what's the perfect way to go about this. And I don't know what they're going to do. And I think it depends on what Lundqvist wants to do because he could easily turn to management and say, find a way to get me out of here. I want to go play somewhere else. not playing enough here. Which, again, it would be a disappointing ending to his story, but it would make sense too. So it's a tricky situation that just got a lot trickier. Yeah, it's it, like when you break it down like this, it's like, how are they going to figure this out? I guess, though, at the end of the day, it's kind of a good problem to have. Like they could just not have as many good goaltenders. And then, you know, who would want that? Uh, I did an interview just recently with David Shane about the Vegas Golden Knights. And he was saying how maybe if Vegas isn't able to re-sign Robin Leonard, maybe they could go after Georgiev as a backup. So maybe that's a potential trade partner for the Rangers. So Yeah, that could make sense. Arizona, I Oh yeah, Arizona. Yeah, if Anti Ranta ends up getting traded, yeah, we need to get on the phone with Jeff Gordon and just kind of like work out all of these options <laughs> with him. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, just tell us your whole game plan, please. <laughs> and we can help. You know, we'll contribute also to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so you brought up Panarin. Let's go back to him now. This amazing season that he had. I like still think back so fondly to his rookie season in 2015-16. I remember that I drafted him in my fantasy leagues, like right at the end of all of my drafts or grabbed him like early in free agency. You know, he was totally under the radar. Then he had this amazing 77-point rookie season. Uh, I fell in love with the guy. And it's crazy to think that now, like six years later, if he were to have another 77-point season next year, it would be like considered kind of a down year, like a bust of yeah. a season. Because he's like I don't understand how this guy just gets so much better. Like he went from Chicago and I remember he got traded to Columbus and a lot of people were saying, well, now it might be harder for him to get as many points because he won't have Patrick Kane to play with. But he went from like a 70s guy to, you know, 82 and then 87 points. Then this past season with the Rangers, he raised the bar once again, 95 points in 69 games for 113.82 game pace. That was good for fourth in the league in scoring behind only the two Oilers and David Pasternak. It's like, how high do you think the ceiling goes for this guy? Like, I feel like when making predictions for next season, it's going to be hard for me to peg him for 113 again, like he paced for this year. But according to the pattern he's been following, maybe we should be expecting like even higher. Like, I just don't even know how high this guy can go. Yeah, I think I could see him doing it again. And I, I mean, there's something about him. It, it, you look at the way he just dominates play. He is so strong on the puck when he has it. And when he doesn't have it, he is doing everything he can to get it back. And He's not this huge bulking player, but for, you know, I've been teased for calling him this before, but he's dense. You know, he really is. He's such a strong player and he's strong on his feet and he's strong with his stick and he really can win puck battles. And then once he has the puck on his stick, he's so elusive and he's someone who doesn't, his first year, he was the year that he hit the most, but he, he's really like lowered that and played like a less physical game because he doesn't need to. He can just continue to skate around with the puck and make everyone else look stupid because he's so smart and he's so quick and he anticipates his teammates move and he, he anticipates his opponent's moves that he can quickly react and figure out what to do next. And usually it's something spectacular. You know, we saw that all season. And I think what's super impressive, you mentioned Brian Strome before, 
here's someone that he's playing alongside Ryan Strom for the bulk of the season. And it's not to take anything away from Ryan Strom, but it's obviously, it's an uneven line. He's playing with Jesper Foss, Ryan Strom, and Artemi Panarin. There, there's right. an imbalance there, obviously. And it's all leaning towards that left wing with Panarin. Um, I'm curious what would happen if you played the full year with Mika Zibanejad, but it did work out because you could have two balanced lines. And on a team that's lacking depth, it's better to have it that way, except for in key situations where they tweak the lineup to put Zibanejad with Panarin. You know, if the Rangers were trailing that third period, you'd see the change. But otherwise, he played with Strom. And he's so good that he made it work with whoever he played with. And in the future, will it be be Strom? I don't know. I don't know what happens next with him, especially with the cap in mind. Um, I think I would have said the Rangers try to sign him another year or, you know, for a couple years to a short-term deal. Now, maybe they might not be like they wanted to before, but maybe he plays with a player like Philip Heedle, who is also a good two-way player and has a lot of offensive upside, and that could work too. And they, the two of them definitely could have you know, a good connection that it would help him build on what he did this year. But he's crazy talented, um, so smart with it. And this year he was shooting the puck more than ever. You know, he, He's more of a passer and he's a playmaker and he's so smart with that, but he also has an effective shot, and this year he was much more willing to use it. And I think had he played with this bandage ad, maybe he wouldn't have been shooting nearly as much. But um, he made it. That right-handed shot was so clutch for the Rangers throughout the season. And then you look at him in his own zone, too, and he's defensively responsible. It, it, there really aren't many downsides to his game, so he can just go out there and thrive. Yeah, what an amazing signing. And um, the way you describe him playing with Fast and Stroma reminds me of like how the Oilers sort of at some point split up McDavid and Dreisaitl. And Dreisaitl got to play with Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto. And then McDavid was with like whoever. It didn't even matter because he's so good. And I yeah. guess it's kind of similar with like Panarin. Like he's almost so good that it, it's bad for him because he doesn't get to play with the best players. Yeah, except for on the power plane. And then watch out. Yeah, which is like, actually, Panarin just had an amazing season on the power play. He never really put up too many power play points. That was like the one thing that I noticed in his stats going into his time with the Rangers. We're like, ah, oh, he doesn't seem like he's so effective on the power play. But obviously that maybe had more to do with the players around him because he and Zibanejad made magic together. Happen. Yeah, and it was interesting. He played in the, he was in the circle the whole season. He was in Zibanejad's spot. You know, Zibanejad was shifted to the slot. So Panarin could play in his in his natural position on the power play and you really had to make a choice and they did experiment to see can we put one in the right circle and one on the left or tweak some things but it really made the most sense because he had such a good two-way player that he could fit in the slot with Panarin in the left circle and he could just use his right-handed shot and he did and because he was so good at passing and shooting it really did work for the Rangers like him in that position and yeah the results show it. Yeah, and because of Banjad, let's talk about him now. This guy also, just like Panarin, has just put up a career season. Like he already had an amazing year in 2018-19, like Panarin. Like he had 30 goals and 74 points. Then he blew past that this year. 41 goals, 75 points in 57 games for a 108-point pace. You wrote an article I saw on The Athletic talking about his five-goal game, which was an extension of his season overall, which, by the way, really hurt me because that five-goal game went to my opponent in fantasy and knocked me out right before the end of the regular season. So that was bad, but Zibanejad, so amazing. Though I guess there is one thing that jumps out in his numbers as a red flag, which is his huge 19.7 shooting percentage spike this year. And he's someone whose career average is much lower at around like 12.9%. Do we need to like conclude that as amazing as the Banajad season was, it was helped a bit by some shooting luck and he probably won't be able to do this again? Or is there like more to the story? Like did Zibanejad like change the way he plays a bit or the fact that he got to play with Panarin on the power play? Like does it make sense that maybe he could maintain this pace moving forward? That's a good question. So normally if I saw a player's shooting percentage 
super inflated, I would say, you know, it, it, they're going to regress at some point. And it's totally possible that he could have because it, his pace was ridiculous this year, especially um, when he came back from injury. So I think the thing with Spanajet is when you look at his early years, and this is why people didn't think he'd be a first line center. Um, when he, when Stepan was traded from the Rangers and Zibanejad was like the natural answer to fill that role. There were a lot of people who didn't think that he could be. And the answer was, he just never has been before. So I think it was fair to automatically write him off as that. Um, when you look a little bit below the surface, you can really see those two-way abilities and go, you know, maybe there really is a potential for more. And when you watch him play and you see his skill set, you're like, there definitely is there. And then you see him shoot the puck. And that's his best asset without a question is how he shoots the puck. He has, he has a right-handed shot. He's very effective with it, and he's a very frequent shooter. And that's something that the Rangers didn't have. They were missing right-handed shots, and they were missing frequent shooters, and they got both in Zibanejad. And since then, they've actually added a lot more righties, including Strom and Panarin. But um, Zibanejad just is so talented, and I don't think people realize just how good he is. Um, it's not just his shooting, but it's his passing, too. And he really does have, like, these um, skilled hands that you watch him playing can see everything that he does. And you think this, this is a player that has so much potential. So I would say he could build on it next year. I don't know if he would necessarily put up a hundred points, but I think if he put up 80 or 90 points, like that's something to definitely be happy about. If he plays with Panarin, I would expect more. Um, they play together on the power play, but at even strength, really his combination over the last two seasons um, we saw it a little bit earlier, but not enough. But over the last two seasons, we've really seen them get the chance was Kreider and Buchnevich. And the three of them that just click because you have a playmaker in Buchnevich, you have a power who is incredibly speedy in Chris Kreider. And then you have Zabanajad, who is this two-way center that just fits perfectly between them. So they really work together. And I think if the Rangers penalty kill improves, and I think that maybe there's a chance they go for a more offensive approach on their penalty kill that we could see Zibanejad build on his shorthanded play too. Um, he already plays on the penalty kill and he's very good when he does play, but I think that as a whole, it could be better. And now with the change of assistant coach, maybe we'll see that. Um, but I don't, wouldn't necessarily be worried that he's going to take some like huge step back next year. You just see, he, he's so smart with how, where he shoots the puck, how he shoots the puck. And he can take many different shots. His backhand was so impressive this year. I think the one that stood out, was against Washington. It was his fifth goal of the game. And, you know, he had scored like that against Philly, if I remember correctly, and Carolina this year too. So it's not just that he's a, he can take a slap shot or a wrist shot or he can tip shots in, but he also has that. So it just shows what he can do. And uh, I think that's what gives me more confidence in it because he's such a well-rounded player. Right, that makes sense. Plus, hey, I mean, even if, if someone's going to have a high shooting percentage, at least he took, he was pacing for his career high in shots on goal. So that's obviously one way to help make up for maybe an inflated shooting percentage. So it's very exciting. And you say that maybe if he could play with Panarin, that would be like the best case scenario for him, which would make perfect sense. Do you have any sense of what the plan is for the Lions moving forward? Like, do you think they're going to stick with Panarin, sticking with Strom, and then Zibanejad playing with Buchnevich and Kreider like they did these past couple of years? I won't be surprised if that's the case. And then desperate situations in the power play, you see them together because you need some balance in your lineup and the Rangers' biggest weakness right now is depth. And I think that it's going to get better when players like Vitaly Kraftsoff, but you know, that he's ready for the NHL. I mean, Kakao continues to grow. And I know everyone was so worried about his rookie season and he's a super talented player and he'll get there. Um, but in New York, not everyone has uh, patience, <laughs> which, you know... 
I, I get it. There's a lot of hype, but you know, you still have to take everything in stride. Uh, with Kreider sign long term, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Zabanjad and Kreider as a fixture for years to come. They have clicked since Zabanjad joined the team. They work so well together, which never really does make it this trio that clicks. So I, it does depend on what the center situation is in the future. If it's Philip Hedl, if it's Ryan Strom, it does change something. But it's not a thing to have two lefties and a righty and KZB as the first line. And you have something like Panarin with Hedl and Foster, Panarin, Hedl, and Kako in the future. You know, that would be a great second line to have. And Panarin still plays either the most or the second most minutes every night. Zibanejad often does lead, though, because he plays in all situations. But the two of them are usually towards the top. So that's how you want it. Your best player is playing the most. So even if they're on different lines, they're both going to be playing a lot. Yeah, for sure. And you've mentioned so many players now that I wanted to ask you about. I guess let's jump to Capo Caco, who, like you said, had a bit of a disappointing rookie season. Like he got drafted second overall. There were a lot of people expecting him to make an immediate impact as an 18-year-old. I recall lots of debate about, okay, who's going to have more points this year, Jack Hughes or Capo Caco? And they both kind of ended up being busts in their rookie season. Uh, by the way, Caco did outpoint Hughes for what it's worth. But obviously uh, that's not too much to hang his hat on when he only managed the uh, 23 points in 66 games. Of course, like he's still a teenager. Like you don't want to read too much into how an 18 year old's first season just went. But like, I guess you kind of alluded to this already, but like, is there a concern that you've seen in the Rangers organization that maybe Kako isn't as good? Like, isn't this sure shot superstar that they thought they were drafting? Or would you say like, this is almost like to be expected and people are just as high on him for like how good he'll be in the years to come. I think it's a little of everything back when, you know, it was the draft. I thought Kako was going to have a better rookie season and Jack Hughes was going to have a better career, but I thought they'd both be top tier talents. And I, that doesn't change right now. You know, he came into a situation on a team that wasn't good. And yes, they brought in new pieces and yes, they got to a point that no one expected, but the fact was they were a rebuilding team to it. And it was a team that was very bad defensively. And he wasn't a top six player. They did give him shots in the top six. I think that maybe they could have given him more. Maybe they could have put him in, uh, you know, different positions to try to figure it out. But when he was in the bottom six, he didn't have the help that maybe he needed. You know, when he was playing with players like Brett Howden and... Like Brendan Lemieux. Yeah, Brendan Lemieux, or that he played with Philip DiGiuseppe. Like, you're not giving him... It's not that you need to give him top-tier talent, but a little bit more stability, I think, would have helped. At, at times, I wanted to see if they'd maybe go with Foss, Kako, and Strom, because that's two established players the coaches trust. Plus, Foss is really good in his own zone. That can maybe make up for some of the mistakes that you would see Kako make. And maybe that would have done some third line. There's still time, obviously, um, next year to end this year and things like that. I'm, I still think he's a very good player. I think he's going to be a very good player. And I would still say I think he's going to be a top-tier player. If it takes him another year or two to get there, you know, he, he has a long career ahead of him. He's a kid. And everyone jumps in with these high expectations because you see what he did. And the, the thing with him was you saw what he did at Worlds against NHL players, against players like Ryan Suter when they played the U.S. And to see what he could do against Team Sweden, his highlight plays were what stood out in the World Championship for Team Finland. You know, So obviously there was a lot riding on that. And so many can make so many assumptions of what a player can be off their World Championship. You know, It's hard not to sometimes when you keep gravitating to these outstanding plays that you see. I don't think there's anything to be worried about long-term. I think that you can be disappointed in how this year went. I think that's completely fair because it didn't go the way anyone could have hoped. But it's one year in his career. I think he'll learn from it. I think that they'll figure out the right way to go. And I think the coaches will figure out the best way to communicate with him and work with him too because even that seemed like it needed work as the year went on. And they changed their strategy, whether they were talking to him too much in overcoaching to just trying to let him play. 
they'll find the balance with him. He'll find the balance in the lineup and hopefully he can be a little bit more confident because when his confidence was up, you could see him going. And um, maybe it was two games before the break. I think it was when they played Dallas. And I think he had a two goal game. And once he had that first goal, you just saw him rolling and he, he lit up and was playing so well. That's what you need to see instantly. And I think he'll get there. That's exciting. It's good to hear the optimism. You know, a player that comes to mind right away when I'm thinking about Kako's rookie season is like the second overall pick the year before, Andrei Svechnikov. He only had 37 points yep. in his rookie year. And this past year, he was amazing at 61 points in 68 games. So, yeah. The only difference I'd say is Svechnikov's underlying numbers in his rookie season were so good that it, it looked like the minute you gave him more minutes, something would happen. And Kako's are just so bad. But maybe it's a little bit of, you know, the Ranger system and the team that he's on, that environment and things like that, that play into it a little bit more. That's my one hesitation because he does have some of the worst underlying numbers in the league. There's no question. You know, you could see it. I think it was in Windows above replacement. He's in the bottom 10. You know, you never want to see that for any player. So I don't know if it'll necessarily be like a light just goes on and that's it. As he perspective, but it does give confidence that a player can, you know, grow and have a turn around their season quickly too. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. And obviously there could be a spot in the top six if he could bump someone like uh, Jesper Fast or, or someone like that to get on a good line there. Speaking of that line that Jesper Fast played on along with Panarin, we brought up Ryan Strom. I did want to dig into him a little bit. Got to imagine Jeff Gordon must be feeling good about what he pulled off at the start of the 2018-19 season where he sent now former NHLer Ryan Spooner to Shirelli's Oilers in exchange for Ryan Strom. And, you know, Strom didn't make a huge impact last year playing primarily with guys like the Mesnikov and Fast and Heedle, but he got this golden opportunity this year to center Artemi Panarin. He took full advantage. He had a career year. 59 points in 70 games for a 69 point pace. And I recall there was like, uh, as I mentioned at the top, like there was a lot of controversy surrounding Strom at the start of the year. He got off to this like amazing start. He had 22 points in his first 22 games, but was riding a career high 18.8 shooting percentage after those 22 games. And like many analysts were suggesting that he'd regress, which led to players, including a favorite of the Too Many Men podcast, Anthony D'Angelo, I recall uh, defending Strom against the, uh, you know, quote unquote, like stats nerds saying, like, you can just see how good Strom is if you see him on the ice. In the end, it kind of seems like things pretty much sorted themselves out because Strom did himself this huge favor of like when he was only he was only taking 1.7 shots per game through the first 41 games of the year. But I see he jumped that up to like three shots per game in the final 29 games and his shooting percentage came down. So like, was there like a conscious decision made for that Strom Panarin fast line at some point to play differently leading to Strom taking more shots? And like, do you think this new high shooting Strom, is that the new real Strom that we should expect moving forward? Ryan Strom is a player that if I were the Rangers, I would have tried to sell high on him sooner. Mm. And I, it's really hard because you have to remember the human element of it. And then also look at the, it, it's a business. I think that he was a player that they could have sold on sooner after you saw like, look, he had a bounce back from Edmonton. Things didn't go right from there, but look at what he's done in New York. Look at the differences and look that he can keep up with players like Panarin. You want to have that. Um, I don't, he's not a player I'd want to invest in long-term. If I'm a general manager, I wouldn't be handing him some big contract because he had a good season. It just, I would never do that. Um, Players can peak late. You know, we know that aging curves are, they go for the general, but they don't, speak to every single case, but I also don't see it that his career is suddenly going to skyrocket it up and he's this player you want to invest five, six, seven years. I don't see how that's a good decision, you know, for a team. And I don't mean to be 
like, you know, it, 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 he's still a person I understand. And that's why the stuff with um, D'Angelo, it was a conversation that I felt like never needed to be had. Obviously, players feel a certain way when they see everyone talking shit about them. You know, it's obviously hard. But I think that some players don't want to look at what the numbers mean and try to understand them. And, you know, they really don't need to. But it also can help you. Maybe it might be telling you, you're most likely going to regress because what comes up goes down. In your career, we've seen X, Y, Z, and you can get those ideas from it. Um, his underlying numbers have not been that great. He he really isn't that strong defensively. You can see it by the numbers. You can see it watching him play. And he does make mistakes like taking a lot of undisciplined penalties. He has some of the most you know minor penalties in the league. And obviously that's not ideal, especially when your penalty kill is in a strength and when you're supposed to be on that penalty kill. So there are flaws to his game, but there's, you know, there's also some benefits to it. He, he kept up with Artemi Panarin and it's not just that he kept up. He played well with him. You know, I think it discredits him by saying he kept up. Um, he definitely did more than that. Panarin can obviously find him with a beautiful pass and all he had to do was finish it off, but he, he made some really strong plays as well. So the Fost Strom Panarin line was something I didn't, you know, advocate for. And I would say, Numerous times, I would rather see a player like Heedle get the shot there. I think that he's more of the future of the team. He's the one that would be getting the minutes and get the shot there. Or maybe it should be Kako over Fost and try to see what you can do with more skill on that line. It worked, though. You know, against all odds, it did work, and they continued it. And, yeah, Strom, for me, can take more shots in general still. that That's his strength. It's his shot, and he should be taking more shots. So whether it was you know, something planned or not to increase his shooting, it definitely helped. And it's something that he would need to do moving forward as well. Because at points he was playing in the circle on the power play and they were trying to give him shots or he was in the slot and it just didn't work because he wasn't shooting the puck enough. And that's something he really needed to be in that position, which is why a player like Zibanejad would work better there. But um, they were put together and they stayed together when Zibanejad was hurt and he found that chemistry with Panarin. So it makes sense why they'd want to keep them together. But for me, I think that I wouldn't say that this is – I'm trying to, like, think of the right way to say it, and I know I keep, like, tripping over it. But I think that he is playing – he had a really good season, you know, especially for him, and you look at his career, and I think that's great and wonderful. But I just don't know how much stock you can put in it when there are players who peak late who can have, you know, a couple good years after that too. But it just doesn't seem right for a rebuilding team. Yeah. Also, I just kind of feel like it probably isn't smart to like sign someone to a huge contract after they put up like this amazing season playing with Artemi Panarin, who obviously is capable of helping almost anyone have a really good season. Like it reminds me of Edmonton again. Like they just signed Zach Cassian to a contract extension. You got to play with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Like who wouldn't have been putting up those points playing with Dreisaitl and McDavid? Yeah. And the other thing is how many, how many big contracts do you want to have players signed to? You have yeah. Chris Crowder, you have Artemi Panarin, you have Jacob Truba, and you have to assume that Mika Zibanejad's going to get a big contract that he's clearly earned, you know, soon as well. So you don't need it that you're like piling it on when you just did all this work to get yourself out of a cap situation. The only thing with him is though, is even if they could figure out a cap friendly deal that works and it works for the team and it works for him, because obviously it does need to work for both is where he fits because you have to imagine the team's going to want he to, to take that next step forward. And I think he can, I think he showed that he could be the second line center this year. And I wanted to see him get more of an opportunity at it. He did win Zaban and Dredd was hurt and he was playing between Buchnevich and Kreider. And while they weren't scoring as much, they were actually really good at possessing the puck and creating quality chances. Um, but 
when Strom and Zibanejad were both in the lineup, Pito was at, you know on the third line, and you would see times where Strom was in a slump, so they moved him down. And they'd put Heedle up, but the second they felt that Strom was okay, they put him back. So it was more as a punishment to Strom instead of earning it for Heedle, so he didn't get that chance to stay. And I think that's something that they should have spent more time trying to figure out this year. And I know anyone would be like, well, they wanted to win, and obviously you're trying to get points and be in the playoff hunt, and Strom works, so why would you change it? You know, but it isn't broken, don't fix it. But you're a rebuilding team. Like, that's still your identity that you need to be looking at these things. So if they sign him... I wonder what that means for Hedl, who should be taking the next step forward, and if it's going to be blocking his path. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that you bring up Hedl and speak so highly of him. He actually had this like really strong start to the season that I think people don't recall. Like He didn't make the team out of camp, but then in the AHL, he put up nine points in nine games with Hartford. Then he got called up, and then he put up seven points in his first eight games, like you said, playing with Buchnevich and... Kreider or Panarin like so he was playing in the top six then like you said he ended up getting bumped down they guess they decided they wanted Strom there instead uh so it sounds like you're saying that you think Heedle has a bright oh I guess we have to see what they do with Strom but in your opinion the Rangers would be smart to get Heedle up playing with Panarin and obviously for fantasy purposes that means people should be looking into investing in Heedle now because if that happens that could be huge for him yeah he was a player that like he didn't earn his spot on the team camp and he was someone I thought would have been a lock for the team but he didn't earn it so while it was a shocking decision, it did make sense because it was second line or bust, basically. It seemed like that was his projection going into it. And him going to Hartford was really great for him. He took so many strides on both ends of the ice. He looked like it, he had grown so much in such, such a short time coming up to the Rangers. And then when he did play there, you know, it was obviously because of the advantage of the absence. But he, I felt he was going to earn that spot soon based on the way that he was playing. And he, and he maintained it, you know. It, it sucks that he got bumped to the third line. And obviously, Zibanejad's the player that makes the most sense between Kreider and uh, Buchnevich. But that line was generating chances. And that that's the goal on it, that even if you're not scoring, you're maintaining the puck that the next line can have a better opportunity at it. And you're just peppering the goaltender. And they, they really were good together. So I think that there's a lot there. Um, his points may show it. And he's someone that I thought, if you saw a minute bump or if you saw a role change for him that you would see his points go up, I think he could be like a good sneaky pick on fantasy. If, if Strom isn't there, he's a hundred percent someone I would invest in because I think he'll be a good second line center. And if he's not playing with uh, Panarin, he's probably playing lighter and either way, like that's a good player to have on your wing. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. Also to even think of like the Panarin line as the second line, but I guess it depends how you want to classify it. Yeah. It, it could go back and forth. It's a top six. Yeah. By the way, uh, I don't know if you know about this. I just had to let you know because I want to hear your reaction. We have friends of the podcast, uh, the Average Time on Ice Twitter account that are huge Rangers fans. And they invented this thing called the Philly Heat, where every single time Philip Heedle scores a goal, they take a video of themselves putting a beer in the microwave and they heat it up until it's like hot beer. And then they chug a hot beer. And that's called a Philly Heat. Oh, my God. Do you think that's something that you would be interested in doing next time Heedle scores a goal? Oh my God. Hot beer. Yeah. It's disgusting. Who would do that? That's disgusting. I mean, look, Ben, Jade like, and Lewis would. Oh, I mean, look, I get the shotgun Jake thing and it's like shotgun and beer. I feel like that one's a little bit more appealing, but heating up a beer. I mean, if your beer is even lukewarm, you don't want it. Maybe, maybe if you've had a couple before that, you don't <laughs> mind the hot beer, but like, I don't want a hot beer. 
I'll admit I, I had to do one once. They weren't around, and apparently it's like someone has to do a Philly Heat every time he scores a goal. So if he becomes the centerman for Panarin, uh, we might have to do a lot of them next year. So maybe uh, for our stomachs, we should hope that Strom stays. Uh, but okay, so we were talking about Philip Heedle and how he didn't make the team. Uh, I guess another guy who didn't make the team that a lot of people wanted me to ask you about is Vitaly Kravtsov, who a lot of people were projecting to land a role in the top six for this year. And then, like I said, he didn't even make the team at all. Uh, he ended up making his North American professional debut in the AHL with Hartford. And it like looking at the numbers, it doesn't even seem like that went so well. He only managed 15 points in 39 games before getting loaned to the KHL, where he also didn't seem to do that well, according to the numbers I see. Uh, so I guess like similar to my question about Kako, like, do you have any sense of how far Kravtsov's stock has fallen at this point, if at all? And like, should we expect him to get to the NHL soon? Or should we start being concerned that maybe he's not as good as people thought? I'm not concerned. I'm definitely not concerned. He's young. You know, these are kids. They're coming over to a new country. They don't know the language. They don't know anyone. And they're having to play a different style game. The KHL to the AHL is, you know, completely different. So it's an adjustment period. And Hartford was going through its own adjustment period with new coaches. So I am not worried yet. Um, I think that he has a future with the Rangers. I think he has a future in New York. And they will figure it out whether it's next year or the year after that. But it's it's not like if a player isn't automatically ready to jump into the lineup, it, it's a slight against them. Sometimes they just need a little bit more time to 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 cultivate and, and you know it I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't be super concerned yet. Um he he's really skilled. We've seen what he can do and he's had some standout plays and I think the fact that he came back to North America you know, it, it's not a bad sign because it, it just means that he'll be working with the staff and learning their system and everything like that, that when he's brought up, hopefully it clicks a little bit more. But he isn't someone that, you know, they could have brought him up sooner and they chose not to because there was no use in bringing him up to play this fourth line role or playing, you know, alongside players that you, you, he's not going to be doing much with. You don't want to bring up a player and put them in a uh, position to fail, especially when there's high expectations for them. So... I think that in time, he'll become a part of this Rangers team. And I would guess middle six is where he starts and he works his way up. But um, I wouldn't worry just yet. Okay. All right. I'm trying to think of like, let's say three years down the road. Like what's our optimal top six? Like, I guess like, is it like, I'm assuming Panarin, Kreider, Zibanejad are there. And then Kako, Kravtsov and like Buchnevich. Or is that like the six players that you would expect should be there? Or am I missing someone? I mean, yeah, I would guess I would guess Heedle's probably the second line right. center. With you have, maybe you still have KZB intact. I don't really know. And then you have, if you have Kako with Panarin and Heedle, that's something. And Kravtsov, if he's on the third, if he's on the third line and he's playing really well, or Buchnevich moves down, or Kako moves down, whichever one it is, if they have three really strong lines and it's just a testament to their depth, I mean, that's not a bad thing. You can look at teams like. Toronto's forward group and they have good players on the third line or Tampa Bay lightning. is like the gold standard so many times or, you know, Pittsburgh they had yeah. a third line with Kessel and Haglin and Nick Benino. And it was fantastic for them. You know, the better your team is on the third line, it just is a better show of your depth. And it just, it's, you know, good to see what they have moving forward. Yeah, it must be a good feeling to be a Rangers fan. And you were saying like at the start how like one of their biggest problems is lack of depth. And now we're talking about we don't even have a spot for all these people. So a couple of years from now, this could be a really strong team. And I think same maybe could be said for the defense, which has been such a weak spot for them for so long. But all of a sudden, I'm going to throw like a bunch of names at you of players where I feel like any one of them could end up like running the top power play and being a high impact guy 
obviously this past season, the main guy to do that was Anthony D'Angelo, who had a decent like 30 point season in 2018-19. Then he exploded this past year, just like Savannah Jad and Panarin. Uh, he took over that top power play spot that I guess Neil Pionk left vacant and after Jacob Truba failed to secure it. And D'Angelo had 53 points in 68 games. So a 64 point pace, which tied him for fourth in defenseman scoring. He was tied with Quinn Hughes behind only John Carlson, Roman Yosey and Victor Hedman. And like, you know, this is a guy like we knew he had some offensive talent when he was drafted 19th overall by Arizona in 2014. But especially after the Rangers acquired Truba, I don't think like anyone saw this coming. And now going into next year, yeah, I feel like people are going to obviously want to try to project if D'Angelo is going to be able to do this again. And I wonder like what you're going to say, like obviously looking at the uh, underlying numbers, like I see also a high shooting percentage there, like 10.1% for a defenseman seems high. Plus there's all these other players like Fox, Truba, Miller, who I feel like could all come up and potentially usurp him. So what's your take right now? Do you think D'Angelo like holds the role that he had this past year moving forward and continues to be this like high scoring defenseman? Or do you think this was a little bit of like a miracle season that will be tough to repeat? Um, I think that D'Angelo is a very skilled offensive player. And I think that's something we knew about him from the time that he was drafted. And from the times the Rangers acquired him, even though he didn't play and he was demoted and he didn't really get a chance. He was someone that like a lot of us did advocate for to get those minutes and show what he can do because he was a good puck mover. And that's something that the Rangers needed and didn't have. He was right-handed shot. He could move the puck and he had this offensive upside. But with that upside, there was a downside the entire time. And that's his discipline and that's his defensive play. He is still not a very great defensive player. I do not think he will ever be a first-pairing defenseman because of it. And that's okay. Not everyone is some defensive stalwart. And defensive systems is something that you can teach a player. You can teach them to learn defensive structure. You can't teach them to just have this innate offensive skill. And that's what he does have. The other side of it is the discipline. And that's part of the reason why he wasn't in the lineup at first with the Rangers. And with Quinn, too, you could see that Quinn was the kind of coach that it seemed like he needed to keep him on track. Yes, you can have a temper. Yes, hockey's an emotional game. But he had crossed the line numerous times in his career. No one did forget about that. So you don't want to see him walking that fine line, knowing where it could go. And yes, players grow and change and so on and so forth. But it just seemed like he needed to be reined in. And I think that's something Quinn deserves a lot of credit for because it seems like he found that balance with D'Angelo to be a fiery player, without crossing a line and without costing the team by taking unnecessary penalties or anything like that. So his defensive game is something that does need work. I think that they can balance him out with the right partner and it'll be fine because, you know, it, there are players like that that, are, that have this high offense and maybe aren't amazing defensively. Um, I think he can repeat this. I think that this is the kind of offensive skill that we've been waiting to see from him. And now the question is, how long can he do it? Can he keep it up consistently uh, consistently, and so on and so forth? Um, is he the one to be the, the quarterback on the first power play unit? I don't know. I know he did well this year. I know the points show it. I like Adam Fox better on the first power play. I liked the glimpse that we got to see this year. And I think in general, when you're the one defenseman that's holding the blue line on the first unit because it's four forwards, one defenseman there, and then it's two defenders on the second unit for the Rangers. I prefer Fox because I think he holds the blue line better. And I think that he's a better defensive player and his transition game is really good. So I think that that is something that maybe will be the answer long-term and I could be wrong here. And then D'Angelo would fit more on the second unit with Truba 
if that's how they, you know, continue to do it, to do it in the future with four forwards and three forwards on the second unit. Um, but I think that Fox might be a more fitting player. And I think he has the potential and the offensive upside to be just fine there or be, you know, as well. And it's not a knock to D'Angelo that I would say I'd rather see Fox there, but it's just knowing their, their games and what we've seen this year. I think that Fox is a better option to be the one defenseman while D'Angelo clicked better on the second unit. And on the second unit, he got more of the chance to be like the guy and really try to show everything he was doing and move around the ice. And on the first unit, when you have players like Panarin and Spanajad, that's not needed as much because you have all these players that can do it and you want to make sure that you can maintain your, you know, possession every time that you're in the offensive zone on the power play. So I just think it could be a more fitting role. Right. Well, so, okay. So I guess then for D'Angelo, he could repeat this again, but you're saying there's a potential threat in Adam Fox, like taking those prime minutes. I I have a comparable I wanted to throw at you. Like the way you describe D'Angelo kind of reminds me of the way I hear people talk about like Shane Gosses-Beher, where he wasn't like a top pairing defenseman on Philly, but he just got this like awesome power play time and was able to put up a ton of points. But then like, as soon as he lost the top power play, he kind of like, I don't know, then had a down year. Like he wasn't able to do that much uh, offensively. And also his like minutes at even strength weren't that high. So do you think that's like something that does that make any sense? Like that those two are similar? Yeah. Do you think that's like not even that close? Uh, it could be. I think that I think that he really is that good player, and he could like offensively, and he could be good at five on five too. And if you give him second power play minutes, he'll still be scoring. Maybe not as much because you're not on the ice as much with players like Panarin and Zabanajad. I, I'm not. I wouldn't be too worried about him if you know all of a sudden he wasn't on the first power play unit. Like his his scoring. I think for him, it's just keeping that offense and then making sure you like check the other boxes as well, which is just improving defensively as much as possible and trying to absorb as much as you can about their structure, which hopefully is something that overall does improve because you can have this aggressive offense and have defensemen pinch up the ice while still having a little bit more structure than they've had in their own zone. It's a team-wide problem that they have to work on, so it's not like I'm just calling him out for this, but um, he's someone that does just if he can overall improve defensively and stay as disciplined as possible, he'll be an effective player because he is that good offensively. Mm-hmm. But um, I just don't know if he's the player to, if, if he'll be this, you know, like 70 point player or something crazy like that, you know, like maybe he could, especially if he played on the first power play unit, but if he could be a 50 point defenseman and, you know, or even a 40 point defenseman as a third pair, second pair guy, you know, if you, if, I imagine that Fox moves ahead of him on the depth chart because of his defensive play and you have Truba there too. So if you had D'Angelo as your third pair defenseman and second power play unit, and he was still putting up points, that's a win. Yeah, for sure. And like, let's talk about Adam Fox now, who was basically this year, a 50 point defenseman, even though he was like, I guess, second pairing, second power play, but he had such an amazing rookie season. I feel it's kind of lost in the shuffle because of how great Hughes and Makar were, but Adam Fox played all 70 games, ended up with 42 points, eight goals for a 49 point pace. Uh, I'm wondering like, is Jeff Gordon seen as like this amazing GM in New York? Like I, I just, you know, like talking through this podcast with you, like they, he made that trade for Ryan Strom where he basically sent nobody and now like what did he send for uh for adam fox to carolina it was like a second and a third round pick and now this guy's looking like a gem uh, of a defenseman so i'm curious like what's the general sense of the gm right now it seems like he's made some re- and also signing panarin of course yeah um th- there's definitely some like mixed results and mixed opinions maybe some feel that he's not aggressive enough but there's there have been some really great trades you know the ryan Strom deal paid off 
the Mika's Vanager trade was unbelievable. It looked great then. Oh, it looked yeah. better now. The Adam Fox deal was a risk. You know, this was a player that everybody knew there was a good chance he'd want to sign with the Rangers. And it was, had he played, I think, 30 games at the NHL level, it became two second round picks. So yes, you're paying a high price, but you're paying a high price for a super skilled player who seemed to be NHL ready and clearly was NHL ready. You know, he, he played like third pair minutes more often when I thought he earned more minutes as the year went on. And I'd like to see him continue to get more, you know, here's a player that He's known for his offensive abilities and he put them on display and he was very quietly effective at first. He didn't have the points, but he was doing everything right. And you didn't even notice him as much, which for a defenseman isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the more you watched him, the more that you could just see he's really smart offensively. He's really smart with his passing. No, he's not a perfect skater. No, he's not a perfect shooter, but he's smart with his passing. He has a ton of poise with the puck, which is encouraging for any young defender, especially one on a team like the Rangers, when everything is pretty chaotic. You know, he was this like calming presence on the blue line when he was a rookie and he was the bright spot too. Um, His skill really shined and then the points started to come and that's when more opportunities arose for him to play. I think that he's someone I'd love to see play shorthanded. He really didn't at all this season. You know, it was a couple of minutes here or there if there were injuries or someone else in the box when I think that the more offensive players you have on your penalty kill, the better. And he's someone that's both very good offensively and also very good defensively. And his defensive game was something that it wasn't necessarily a low point of his game, but it wasn't that, that shining aspect of it. I don't think anyone expected him to be this good defensively, especially on this team in every circumstance that he was, but um, he was really their best defender on both ends of the ice. So there's so much to be encouraged by, by him. That's wild. So even you'd say you'd rank him higher than Jacob Truba in terms of defensive play? Because I just kind of assumed that Jacob Truba just had this like season where he like kind of lost all of his offense. He went from a 50-point guy to only putting up, what was it in the end? Like whatever, like 20-something points. But he still like led the Rangers in ice time. So I assume like they're still happy with this contract because he plays a lot and he's good defensively. But like, what's your take on the Truba's first season with the Rangers? It was less than ideal. And I know a lot of people are concerned because I would say that his contract at the time of his signing, it looked like a slight overpayment, but you overpay for good players. You don't overpay pay for the mediocre players. When you overpay for the good players, you really don't have as much to sweat about. Um, his season was less than ideal. I think that he was thrown into a Rangers system that was very chaotic and very different from what he had played. And there needed to be an adjustment period. And within the first, you know, like two games, He's going and thinking he's going to be Brady Shea's partner. And then he's playing with Liber Hayek, who just did not look ready for the NHL level and eventually did go down to the AHL, which was more fitting for him. And I think that when he played with Hayek, it really brought down both of his game, both of their games. And even with Shea, it didn't work out as well as anyone could have hoped. Um, I, I think at the end of the year with Brendan Smith, I was curious to see where that could have gone because Smith was finally back on defense where he did belong. And I'm, I'm wondering if something could be there moving forward, but you know, he does play the toughest minutes. We know that he absorbs a lot of minutes and rightfully so his, his first season though, he, he made mistakes and he didn't play as well as I think anyone could have hoped, but I want to see what happens with the new defensive coach. I'm not putting this solely on Lindy Ruff, but I think I would have liked to, I maybe would have liked to see like more adjustments from him over the years. My biggest complaint was there was a lack of execution in a system that again, Head coach's system, not his. I understand that. 
But when the players can't execute, you want to see more adjustments from the coaches to, to make something work, to fix it. And there just didn't seem to be enough answers to remedy what was going wrong. I wonder if that changes at all. You know, I, I'm very curious if, if someone else can come in and try to help fix the problems that they've been having and help Truba bounce back. I would say Fox, when you look at everything, was the shining star of the defense this year. But he also played different minutes. So obviously that could change given more responsibilities, which is why I wanted to see them start trending towards giving him the minutes to see what would happen if he played more. But it really wasn't to take as many minutes from players like Jacob Truba, but you know, to get on the penalty kill and to play more defensive situations just to see what he could do and push it a little bit further because, you know, yes, they're competing to win, but it's a rebuilding year and you want to see what you have in your younger players. And I think that was the opportunity to do it. Right. Well, I guess we'll hopefully see more from Fox as the years go by. Like normally, I guess a defense when their rookie year isn't going to have their best defensive season. And like this season by Adam Fox, like pacing for 49 points. I feel like th- there's seasons in the past where this would have been very Calder worthy, especially since you're saying he was so good defensively. Like Aaron Ekblad won the Calder with only 39 points in 1450. Yeah. Tyler Myers won it with 48 points in 2009, 10 different eras, of course. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I would have put I, so I see McCarr winning the Calder. I get it. It makes total sense. I got it. You know, he, he played a ton of minutes. He had a lot of points and his underlying numbers were good. I think in terms of wins above replacement, he led the rookies, but behind the car was Fox. And then I think it was Marino and then it was Hughes and it's not a knock against Hughes. And I do wonder if Hawk, if Fox had more minutes and played on the first power play unit and maybe had more points, but I think that he's the one that should be in the Calder conversation that isn't. And I would bet you anything that he's not going to be on the Calder you know, the final three, it'll be two defensemen and a forward, you know, had Elvis Merzlinkins uh, not gotten hurt, maybe he'd be the third one to round it out. But I, I think that Fox should be on more Calder ballots. He should have been on more Calder ballots than he probably was because he did have that good of a season. And um, I mean, that it, it sucks for him, but, you know, he has a lot of a lot of years left in his career to show just how good he is. Yeah, maybe he could get a Norris or something to replace the Calder. I don't think yeah. the hot take so much <laughs> is like, I think it's kind of a hot take when you're saying that Fox is better than Quinn Hughes. But I think the real hot take that you slipped in there was John Marino ahead of Quinn Hughes. John Marino played different minutes. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'd like, you know, just look at it and go like, oh, John Marino is a better player. I know that his, I, if I remember it, his wins above replacement was better than Quinn Hughes, but they played different roles. Like when John Marino was playing, he was playing, you know, 20 something minutes a night in all situations and, he did get hurt, so that obviously takes him out of it a little bit more. But I'm curious what he would have done had he not gotten hurt. I still, if I was voting on the Calder today, I would probably go McCarr, Fox, Hughes in that order. And had Marino not gotten hurt, maybe the conversation's different. But it, it's it's really it's a testament to you know these NCAA defenders who come in and play so well. And you know sometimes there's bias against these players for not going the professional route when they're younger. But look at what these players are doing. Like it, it's so encouraging. Yeah, and let's talk about one more, another prospect that the Rangers have in Ke'Andre Miller, who signed an entry-level contract with the Rangers back in March after a couple great seasons with the University of Wisconsin. Do you think that Miller will have a shot to make the team and be yet another guy who makes an impact from the D side next season? I think he has a shot to make the team because the left side of the blue line could use some work. It's Brendan Smith, Ryan Lindgren, and Mark Stahl. And obviously there's room for an improvement right there. Um Having said that, I would bet that Kendra Miller starts in Hartford and then either comes up midseason or even if he played a full season down there. And I don't think that's enough to his game. I just think that it's best to do whatever it takes for their development. 
But it also will be interesting to see what the coaching situation is because right now with Ruff leaving, Gordon Miller, who is working with the defense and penalty kill in Hartford, is going to be at the NHL level to finish out the playing rounds. We'll see what happens next year if he's the long-term option for the defensive coach or if he ships back. So that could you know, make a determination as well because he's someone clearly who's trusted to develop younger defensemen. So maybe they do think that him working there would be the best. But it really does depend. And I don't think anyone wants to overwhelm anyone. And it's not to say that he can't handle it, but maybe he doesn't need to immediately unless his camp is that good. You know, sometimes it is better to just give a player a second instead of throwing expectations on them for opening night. If you even let him play 10 games down there and then see how he does and then call him up, maybe that's what's best for him. So we'll definitely see what happens there. There's a lot of time between now and next season. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not positive on that one, but it's not, it's not a slight if he doesn't make it off the bat. You know, the best thing that they can do as a rebuilding team is doing what's best for their long-term futures, even if it doesn't help them right now. I know they want to win as soon as possible. Every single team does, but you have to do the decisions that make sense for now and in the future. And you don't want to rush a player. Yeah, for sure. And so, but do you, so let's say like not next year, but a couple of years from now, do you think K Andre Miller will be in that conversation with like Adam Fox and uh, Tony D'Angelo as like another person who might be threatening for these like top minutes with the team? Yeah. I, I, if he was, a, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up like as a top four defender for them for sure. Cool. Yeah. So look at this, the New York Rangers, good goalie, strong offense, good defense. Uh, This is a a very exciting team. Must be a lot of fun being a Rangers fan. Uh, This, by the way, interview has just like flown by. It's already been an hour. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Shana. I guess one last question I'll ask uh, that we've been asking to all the different people coming to talk about the different teams. If you could pick one Ranger that you think will be like the biggest positive surprise next season. So maybe like lower on people's radars than they should be. And then on the flip side, one player that you think is like too overrated, and will end up being like the biggest disappointment next season, who would you pick? Hmm. Biggest surprise. I'm going to say Philip Petal. I'm going to give him, nice. and I think, I think he was the answer I gave last year too, like prior to all the acquisitions. I think he's the player that's going to have a breakout year next year. Hopefully he has the minutes to do it. I think though, um, people are so quick to look at points and not look at everything else and see how well a player does or think that there's missed opportunities, but he was someone that came in and I thought would be more of a passer and he creates a ton of scoring chances and quality chances and he shoots the puck and you know, there there's so much there that you can see how he's built his game up. So he's someone who maybe it won't be a huge surprise, but I think that he'll have the breakout season next year and disappointing. I almost feel like on the flip, if Heedle has an amazing season next year, that almost like means by default that Ryan Strom probably will have a down year because there's only one person that could play with Panarin. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be I think he would still be effective. And I think that's the thing that people have to like keep in mind is like roles or what they're doing. If they have him as a, as a two way center on the third line playing with players like Kako and Faust or right. DJ Zappi and Kako or anything like that, it's still a good role to have and it's still a necessary role. I think that's the biggest thing. On the Rangers, that's a crucial role. We have seen it over the years. The third line center role has totally screwed them up when they didn't have a builder. You know, a fourth line center role. Center depth is so important. So if they feel that they have this player that's a two-way player that can handle it, yeah, maybe it'll be a down year in points if you're not playing with Panarin, but it could be a much better year for the team. Right, okay, that's fair. I would say... The one that worries me a little bit is Fost because he's an unrestricted free agent. I think players in that position can easily be overpaid when they're depth players. And you don't want, you you can replace your depth players. Yes, he's incredibly valuable to the Rangers and he's shown it throughout his career, really. Um, 
if he gets paid too much and is expected to replicate this season, I would be a little bit worried for him because I could see how it could easily be a disappointment. If he gets a contract similar to what he's doing now, then whatever he does, everyone will just be happy with. But that's where I would caution it. If he gets paid too much, people are going to expect this kind of season from him. And I don't, I don't know what the future holds, especially when there's going to be other players pushing for that role in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, yeah, like playing with Panarin, I guess the same as what we were talking about with Strom, like maybe you don't want to give someone a big contract after he had a nice season playing with one of the best players in the whole world. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks again so much for coming on. This is, uh, you know, a long anticipation for Brian and I to get you on. It was as good as we could have hoped. I'm already excited for your next appearance. We could talk about some other teams. You clearly have uh, takes about people like uh, John Marino outside of the New York (laughs) Rangers. Uh, So I'll once again run through your list of credentials. I'll link to all of this in the show notes. uh, But people should definitely be following your work at The Athletic. Hockey Graphs, Blue Ship Banter, uh, Behind the Benches, and then listening to the Too Many Men podcast, which, by the way, I heard you say that you wanted to kill Toronto, which is where I live, and uh, <laughs> but I guess I'll forgive that. <laughs> just, just for them as a hub city. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that Edmonton video was very beautiful. Could I, can, yeah. So I can understand why you'd want to go there, even though it wasn't really Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to mention that people should check out? Oh, and obviously follow you on Twitter. Hey with uh, three Y's and then Shay with three Y's. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again. Have a good night. You too. Thanks again, Shayna, for that amazing interview about the Rangers. It was really fun talking through everyone in this team. I, I guess I say this about a lot of the teams, but I don't know. After these interviews, I get really excited. And this Rangers team looks like they're going to be a strong team for years to come. I wish this was like a stock and I could buy now. It might be already too late to buy low, but you know, you buy now, I feel like in a few years, it's going to skyrocket because this looks like a team that could build into a contender very, very soon, especially if some of these young players work out, which why, why wouldn't they, right? Andre Miller, Igor Shostyorkin, like Kapokako. These are all like blue chip players and Kravtsov. Plus they have all these like star players on the team. So yeah, very exciting. That was so much fun. And yeah, thanks again to Shayna. Thanks again to you, the listener, for tuning in and checking out this Beat Writer series as we've been barreling through the NHL. We're approaching the tail end. I think we have nine left now after this one, nine or eight. So we'll just keep these coming. Uh, but if you like the show, we'd love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson with any feedback. If you want to support the show, you could throw us a buck over on Patreon and we'll give you all of our patron perks, including access to our patron-only Facebook group, our monthly patron cast where Brian and I actually just recorded a really fun patron cast this past Wednesday. I hadn't talked to him for a while, so we caught up. He kind of yelled at me at the beginning, which was less than fun, but probably will be fun for the listeners. Uh, but yeah, that was great. And you can check that all out at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, with that, let's cue the outro music and I'll go ahead and read you the credits of this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. Logos by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and the episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, uh, The Athletic, and then like all the other sites that Shayna works for that I was checking out, Hockey Graphs, Blue Ship Banter, Behind the Benches, very prolific. Uh, So thanks again for listening. Hope you liked it and stay tuned for our next show. Until then, keep on keeping Carl's song.